Hello, and welcome to The Wise and the Wicked. I am your host, KJ. Today we will be taking a trip back to World War II to look at Unit 731 and into the brain of a madman who wanted to see if he could create an epidemic to wipe out his enemies. to the wise and the wicked. My name is KJ. I have started this podcast as a means to educate myself and whoever is listening about different types of people and their impact on society. This means that we look at all things crime, history, the problematic ones and the problem solvers. This week we are going to have a bit of a history lesson. Today we are going to look at Unit 731, the laboratory of death which was controlled by a branch of the Imperial Japanese Army in China and all of the horrendous, horrible and unforgivable acts of human experimentation that took place here. So it's important to note that there were similar human experiments carried out in Nazi Germany during the Second World War. And over the course of history, we can see the exploitation of the human body for medical research. And this has been done for centuries. But the aftermath of the atrocities that took place during the Second World War brought about the implementation of the Universal Declaration for Human Rights. The aftermath of these atrocities during the Second World War, however, brought about the implementation of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which was implemented in 1949 by the United Nations. So this story specifically will detail the atrocities well, just some of the atrocities that took place in China during the Second World War. We'll be looking at human experiments, human torture, and a madman trying to see if he could start an epidemic to wipe out his enemies. Now, I was completely fascinated with this story. I'd never heard of it, which is not surprising, but how never. I was told about it and I really wanted to learn more. So I did a little digging. But before we jump in, I just want to note a couple of things. So firstly, there is a lot of Japanese pronunciation here and I'm sure I'm going to butcher it. So please bear with me. I did my very best. And second, there is a lot of graphic content here. So I did my best to avoid going too deep into it, but it's a massive part of the story. So I will give a little bit of a warning when we get closer to it, but it is massively what happened. So. So let's get cracking. In Japan at this time, it was reported that through government teachings, mass media and education, ideas of ethnic superiority were massively promoted. Japan at the time looked to their emperor with an insane amount of admiration, to the extent that they looked at him almost as if he was a superior being. In addition to this, to be obedient towards this emperor was of utmost importance. And unfortunately for China at the time, they would bear the brunt of this ethnocentrism. So typically when we look at the Second World War, 
we look more to the European side. So at least over here in Ireland, if you tippity-tap type there into Google, when did the Second World War start? It will say in 1939, when Germany first invaded Poland. But two years prior to this, in 1937, the Second Sino-Japanese War began when the Imperial Japanese military invaded the Manchuria region of China. So Japan invaded this region and they would go on to occupy this area in China for the following eight years until 1945. So the Imperial Japanese military, which were in China at the time, were incredibly cruel to the people of Manchuria. The Second World War, as we all know, was a hugely dark time for humanity and this part of it was absolutely no exception. During the eight years that Japan would occupy the Manchuria region in China, they would commit one atrocity after the next. There are many, many examples of this, but just to name a few are the Battle of Shanghai, the Nanjing Massacre, which is also known as the Raping of Nanking, and Unit 731. So Unit 731 was the name of the branch of the Imperial Japanese military, which conducted the series of secret and horrendous human experiments for the purpose of learning more about biological and chemical warfare. Unit 731 got its name from the branch itself at the helm, but the official name for the lab itself was the Epidemic Prevention and Water Purifying Department. Now, obviously, that name has nothing to do with anything that happened in this building. That was the kind of quote-unquote cover name of the building. But for the sake of ease, I will be referring to the lab itself as Unit 731. And while we are discussing it, we cannot do so without the mention of the deplorable Lieutenant General Shiro Ishii. Shiro Ishii was born in 1892 in Shibuama, in the Chiba Prefecture in Japan. He was born to very wealthy landowners. His parents came from a long line of Daimyo, which are essentially feudal lords. In that time, they would have had a lot of influence over the local area. Therefore, he grew up with the benefit of a very lavish lifestyle. So we mentioned briefly before that in Japan at this time, people would look to their emperor with this sort of godlike admiration. But this would also trickle down through the classes. So the loyalties to those who were in a higher class were incredibly strong, to the point that it was actually thought that if somebody was in a higher class than you, that their life was actually more valuable than yours. So Ishii being from quite a high class within this very rigid structure, he was thoroughly raised with the belief that his life was genuinely more important than most people's. When Ishii was a young child at school, he was, by all accounts, a very good student. He was very bright. He was often referred to as the teacher's pet, but he was not very well liked by his peers. His classmates would describe him as arrogant, brash and abrasive. Once he finished school, Ishii studied medicine at the Kyoto Imperial University. Throughout his studies, he was always fascinated with microbiology. And it is said that when he was in college, he would keep different types of deadly bacteria in petri dishes and he would refer to them as his pets. That is deadly bacteria. They were his pets. So that'll give you an idea of the type of dude we're dealing with. 
So after his studies then in 1921, Ishii joined the Japanese Imperial Military as a surgeon. He later then was promoted up through the ranks to Lieutenant General. And by 1937, he had enough sway that he could actually personally approach the emperor to ask him for a grant to set up a laboratory within the Manchuria region of China, which is, of course, where Japan occupied at the time. So Ishii received government funding and was given a massive budget. In this lab, he planned to study the effects of chemical and biological warfare. So we'll be getting into what actually that means in a little bit more depth later on. But there are actually quite conflicting reports about what Ishii first stated that his plans were with this camp. Many believed, and they still do, that this camp was set up with innocent means to promote public health and to protect the Japanese soldiers who were fighting in China at the time. But others believe, and they also still do, that from the get-go it was Ishii's plan to set up this lab so he could test human subjects. So you can decide that one for yourself. Either way, Ishii set up his camp, and this camp was set up in a small village along the railway line near Harbin in Manchuria, China. Here was built a series of buildings, so this would include the lab itself, housing for the scientists, dining halls, and of course, prison cells. Reports say that this camp was built with the use of slave labour, and this labour force consisted mostly of small-time criminals and prisoners of war, and while building this lab, the prisoners were made to wear blinders, much like the ones you would see on a working horse, and this would stop them from having a full view of what they were actually making. Once the construction was completed, these slaves were murdered, so that way nobody that actually was imprisoned in this camp had ever had a full view of the buildings itself. So it was said that this fortress could comfortably house over a thousand people at once. So it's a massive building we're talking about here. So once the camp was finished, Ishii could begin his experiments. So, okay, consider this your warning. This is when everything starts to get a little bit graphic. If you're not up for this, you can skip on ahead or you can just stop listening. The next one might be better suited to you. So in order to get test subjects for his lab of torture, Ishii first conducted experiments on prisoners of war. Later, when he wanted more victims, he would order his men to round up anybody they could find from the local areas. The elderly, babies, men, women, children, and everybody in between. These prisoners would be put onto trains, never to be seen by their loved ones again. And prisoners were mostly Chinese locals, but they were also prisoners from Russia, Mongolia, and Korea. And throughout Unit 731, test subjects were commonly referred to as marturas, which means wooden logs. So this allegedly was to reinforce the cover story that the building itself was actually a wooden mill. So the exact amount of prisoners that have gone through this camp is still unknown. Most reports suggest that there were at least 3,000 prisoners, but some other reports say that that figure could be even as high as 7,000 prisoners. And the average life expectancy for a prisoner within the camp was three to four weeks. Horrendously, what we do know for sure is that any prisoner that entered this camp did not survive. Experiments were carried out to test human limits, which was essentially to push the human body to extremes and see how long they could survive, if at all. For example, they would deprive prisoners of food and water and basically wait to see how long it would take for them to die without any food or water. 
they would also drop heavy items on prisoners to see how long it would take for their limbs to develop gangrene. Other experiments that were carried out included what was called weapons testing. This was when the guards would tie up prisoners to the poles outside and essentially test their weapons on them. So these weapons could be anything from knives, bayonets, swords, but they would even go as far as to test their guns on them and even flamethrowers. One of the men working under Ishii was an equally infamous character called Yoshimura Hasito. So Hasito also studied medicine and he became part of Unit 731 in 1938. Hasito had a morbid fascination all of his own. He was obsessed with hypothermia and as a result there were a massive amount of experiments done to test hypothermia and frostbite. So the limbs of prisoners would be submerged in tubs of ice water until they developed frostbite. Some prisoners would be left then without anything to cure them to see how long the human body could naturally heal itself. Others, as a result of the frostbite, would be exposed to massively high temperatures and even open flame to see how that would affect the area. Some other prisoners would be then left out in the cold in the winter to see how long the frostbite would take to actually cause their limbs to fall off. All of these experiments were so deadly that a lot of prisoners would actually die while they were being carried out on them and those that didn't would be used for other tests and once they became too exhausted to be experimented on, they too would be killed. With all of the horrors of these experiments in mind, they actually don't reflect the main goal that Ishii had for Unit 731. The main focus here was to conduct research for biological and chemical warfare. So before we get into the research in more detail, I think it's a good time to go into detail about what chemical and biological weapons actually are, just to get a better understanding of them. So the use of chemical and biological warfare was outlawed in 1925 by the Geneva Protocol, but this did not stop a lot of countries from possessing them and developing them further. When we look at chemical weapons specifically, the definition from the Organization of the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons would define them as a chemical weapon used to cause intentional death or harm through its toxic properties. So these would include toxins such as nerve gas, mustard gas, and tear gas. Chemical weapons would be used in Unit 731 by putting prisoners into pressure chambers and releasing the gases into the chamber. The prisoners would just be left there while the scientists studied the effects that the gas would have on them. So I didn't go into the definition of the individuals and what they would do in huge amounts of detail, but I will tell you about a little bit about mustard gas. So mustard gas, when the human body is exposed to mustard gas, it essentially causes severe burns and almost boils on the skin. So these poor prisoners would be put into pressure chambers essentially for their skin to burn off and the scientists would just sit there and take the little notes and study the effect. Anyway, biological warfare on the other hand is defined by the same organization as microorganisms like virus, bacteria, fungi, or other toxins that are produced and released deliberately to cause 
disease and death in humans, animals and plants. So, due to Ishii's morbid fascination, which we've spoken about before, with bacteria specifically, biological weapons and their development was really where he wanted to focus on. So this would be carried out in many different ways. So we're just going to go into a few of them, but prisoners would be injected with either venereal diseases or infectious diseases in order to study the impact of the illness within the human body. And in some cases it was said that this was done to make vaccines for Japan to fight against these diseases, but that was never technically proven. Um, All of these diseases would be studied on the prisoners through vivisection. So vivisection, for those who don't know, I did not know, and I'm really sad now that I do know, but it's essentially an autopsy carried out on somebody who is still alive. The scientists here believed that for accuracy, the test subjects would have to be alive during these experiments, and that decomposition may alter their results. They would also carry out their vivisection without the use of anaesthetic because they also thought that anaesthetic would dull their results. So therefore, all of these experiments were done on prisoners alive without any anaesthetic. So venereal diseases such as syphilis would be studied in great depth. Not only did they want to see the impact of syphilis on the prisoners, but they also wanted to study the transmission of it. So they would do this by, brace yourself, ordering male prisoners to rape the female prisoners until they gave them syphilis. So there was also a huge amount of studies done on pregnant women and their babies, and I'm not going to get into that in more detail, but it happened. So the New York Times actually did an interview with one of the scientists from Unit 731, um, which was carried out in 1995. They wished to be kept anonymous, but they explained what it was like to conduct the experiments on these prisoners. They explained what it was like to carry out a vivisection on a 30-year-old man, and they would say, quote, The fellow knew it was over for him, and so he did not struggle when they led him into the room and tied him down. But when I picked up the scalpel, that's when the screaming began, end quote. During the interview, they explained the rationale for not using any anaesthetic and only using vivisection. And when the topic of experimenting on children came up during the interview process, they said, quote, of course there were experiments on children, but probably their fathers were spies, end quote. They then finished off the interview with a smile saying, quote, there is a possibility this could happen again because in war you have to win, end quote. The infectious diseases injected into the prisoners would include the likes of the plague, cholera and anthrax. So once the vivisections were complete, the organs and body parts of the victims would be placed into jars to be studied. So in the same New York Times article, another former Unit 731 scientist explained that these jars would be neatly labelled and organised. They said, quote, I saw some labels saying American, English and Frenchman but most were Chinese, Koreans, and Mongolians, end quote. Over time, Ishii's experiments grew even more deadly. He decided he would like to know if he could create an epidemic. In 1939, a group of young students were brought in to learn how to cultivate bacteria. In news reports, one of these students 
were interviewed and he said that himself and 26 others were brought to Unit 731. He said at the time he was 16 years old. He said, quote, After the vivisection, the victims were completely unrecognisable. I was ordered to put their organs into a container. We would use them to cultivate bacteria, end quote. I couldn't really find too much detail on the cultivation process itself, but the same report said that all of the bacteria would be kept in separate buildings that were constructed specifically to house this bacteria. And typically we would measure bacteria in grams, but here they were exclusively measuring the bacteria in kilograms. And it was said that there was enough bacteria in Unit 731 at this time to destroy the world. So with the knowledge they had of the diseases, such as the plague, that they would live and thrive and can be carried through fleas. So Unit 731 would order planes to fly over the surrounding areas and drop thousands and thousands and thousands of fleas carrying the plague. So this was referred to as field testing. One report stated that somebody who saw one of these planes fly overhead thought it was a plume of smoke coming from the plane's engine, but on further inspection, when the plane flew further away, they could see that it was not smoke. It was thousands and thousands of fleas falling from the sky. These fleas would go on to infect the local population along with their rats, and this strain of the plague was said to be so deadly that those that were infected would not live any longer than two days. So according to records, one third of the population of the surrounding areas were wiped out by this plague. Of course, though, this was not enough for Ishii. He would go on to construct flea bombs. So these were massive tubes, essentially, which contained thousands of fleas. The flea bombs would mean that more fleas could be dropped over more areas further away throughout Manchuria which would mean that they would cover a wider area and therefore infect more people. He would go on to do the same process with cholera and anthrax. It was said that soldiers under Ishii would go into local cities and hand out sweets to the children there. This was seen at the time as an act of kindness, but later it was revealed, later it was revealed that these sweets were spiked with anthrax. So in 1945, Japan surrendered as they were under threat of retaliation from the Soviet army. Ishii was ordered to stop all activity in Unit 731. He ordered his men to destroy any evidence of their experiments. Everybody that worked there would be explicitly sworn to secrecy about all of the atrocities that took place in Unit 731. It was even said that they tried to blow up the building to destroy some more evidence. And at this time, there were reportedly approximately 400 prisoners still alive in the camp. Unfortunately, though, the surrender did not mean that they were safe. All remaining victims were reportedly lined up and shot on sight. All of the mice and the rats that were infected with the various aforementioned diseases that were kept in the lab, they were released and these as rodents do went running around the surrounding areas and would end up causing various outbreaks it's estimated that just them not killing these rodents and setting them free could have caused approximately 30,000 deaths some of those involved were captured by the russian army fighting in the region at the time these were reportedly detained but they were later released back into japan the remainder of those were captured by the American military, which included Ishii himself. 
And upon his capture, Ishii would be interviewed, but he would never be tried because he was soon granted immunity from any prosecution. Yes, you heard that correctly. Ishii was granted immunity by the American military in exchange for his findings from his torturous experiments. The US at this time had moral codes and laws in place against the experimentation on live human subjects, and they figured that they would never be able to conduct the level of research that was carried out by Ishii, and thus they would never have access to such findings. Therefore, Ishii was set free. He would later return to Japan and have a massively successful career, as did many of the scientists that he worked with. And later, Ishii died peacefully in hospital at the age of 67. His buddy Mishito over there had a very, very similar experience. He also returned to Japan and became a professor. He actually won an award for his achievements in the field of biological adaptation in 1978. He then died in 1990. One of the most horrifying parts of this story is that a lot of it is still unknown. All of the horrible atrocities that we know that took place we're not even close to the full extent of it. And even more disturbing is that it wasn't until 1984, so almost 40 years later, that the Japanese government would even admit to these experiments taking place at all. Up until then, it was one of the largest kept secrets of World War II. Stories began to emerge in the early 1990s, along with books and testaments from the scientists who took part. But even with all of this evidence, a lot of it was destroyed, so we still don't know the full extent of what actually happened at this time in Unit 731. The true number of victims is almost impossible to tell. As we previously said, there's an estimated number of anywhere between 3,000 victims, as far as 7,000 victims, who actually would have died within the Unit 731 walls. However, the field testing that would be carried out is estimated to have cost from 300,000 to 600,000 lives. The scientists at this camp were truly of the belief that those they were testing and killing were enemies of war. And therefore, to them, there was little difference between what they were doing versus killing an enemy in the field of battle. In fact, many would even go as far to say that what they were doing was actually better because it was all in the name of science. So that, my dear friends, is the horrible horrific, horrendous story of Shiro Ishii and Unit 731. Thank you very much for listening.